Sorry, guys, I feel a little multitasking here. So I'm Taryn. I have the privilege of leading the team that leads Signal Church. And we are preaching through a series on identity in Christ. But before that, more emotion for me. Um, you heard you heard um, Paul bringing a wonderful prophetic word. If you've been in this church for a year, you might... Sorry, Sipokazi, just more emotion. Sipokazi brought that word. Sipo and Sipokazi and their daughters, Sipo and Musa, have um, been with us for some time and um, been chatting to them lately. And this last while, they have come to discern that as their ministry expands in new directions, they've got this very exciting ministry in Kailicha. They are not so sure that Signal is the church uh, where they're heading off. So they have asked us to release them. I said, no. (laughs) Now, of course, the right thing is to release them and to say, but nobody's moving into your bedroom. You can come back anytime and you can take the mic. And I honestly don't know if people that carry more of a, I'm trying to think if I'm exaggerating. Okay, maybe a handful of people that carry a ability to bring God into a room. Have you ever had... Sipo, pray, pray for you. Yeah. Bang! You get touched by God. And your wonderful daughters. I, I really am sad to let you go, but I know that we are, have friends in the kingdom, and, um, and we've got so many relationships here, and I know that those relationships will stay, stay strong. I'm not going to pray for you now, but at the end of the meeting, just remind me, I don't know where my head's going to be by the end of the meeting. We just Some of us would love to just say bye-bye to you. And even if you don't pray for them, this is a chance to say bye-bye. But it's not a bye-bye to the relationships. And we really do wish you the best. Hey? Uh, me and Sipokazi team together. She does the work, but I've helped in some of the curriculum creation. Training pastors in um, communities where they can't afford all of these advanced education for ministry. And Sipokazi does, that's, that's her, her new mission, amongst other things. So, okay, where was I? The message, okay, the message, who we are in Christ. I got three points for you. Number one, I am seen, I am God's, and I am yours. See, easy to remember. I could actually maybe step down. Do you want me to stop, or should I explain those three things? I'm seen, I'm God's, I'm yours. We're going through Ephesians chapter one, um, and uh, we just picking out a few lines at a time and, you know, doing that with the window, eh, 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 going, expanding it, going in, double-clicking on it. And um, so let's start off with I am seen. I am seen. I remember worshiping God with 4,000 people once. I was straining to see God's face. And I was absolutely enamored with him. But I remember in this moment feeling, does he see me? <laughs> Or does he see like one, am I part of his, like one four thousandth of his focus? And I, I remember actually really wondering, you know, is it the collection of this that's enjoyable to God or is he, he's got the ability to home in on me. And um, in this occasion, he condescended to my faithlessness. So in this room, all the curtains are closed. Suddenly, as I'm praying this prayer, the only crack anywhere in this huge auditorium between two curtains, the sun shines through onto my face. Like the only shaft of sunlight comes to this building and it's shining at me. I'm like, okay, I believe. You see me. You see me. Now, I wouldn't recommend the same thing because you will, you know, that's not how we 
we live. But um, for those of you that doubt if God really sees you, I think the best thing to do is to look at, the, look at Jesus Christ in the Gospels and notice how he sees people. Because Jesus says to see me is to the Father, to see the Father. In other words, you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. Um, you know, God is Christ-like. You want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. That's why we're fascinated with the man. He's our window into God. And um, I, love this, I love this quote um, from Paul Johnson. He's a secular historian, one of the best ever. And he writes this about Jesus from a historical perspective. He says this, Jesus... Um, Jesus' love of people as individuals was in some way his most striking characteristic. He never tired of talking to them and penetrating their secrets. They were drawn to him and only too willing to divulge them. His life was a series of public meetings punctuated by casual encounters which turned into significant events. Jesus not only encouraged these encounters but treasured them. These episodes though often brief, form the human core of the New Testament. And Paul Johnson, who knows what he's talking about, he studied ancient documents. There is nothing like them in the entire literature of the ancient world, sacred or secular. A person who had the ability to home in on an individual. I mean, just flip through the Gospels. You've got Zacchaeus. He's trying to see Jesus, but no one will let him. But Jesus sees him. Nobody's got time of day for this guy. Jesus stops the whole procession, says, I'm coming to your house for lunch. Uh, what about that story in Luke chapter 13? There's a woman who's bent over, buckled with 18 years of being crippled. And, um, and it says, Jesus saw her. Those are the words. And then he heals her and she stands upright. And then he rebukes everyone in the room who had failed to see her. And then he calls her daughter of Abraham. In those days, you know, there were sons of Abraham. Nobody ever used the term on a woman. Daughter of Abraham. What about the occasion when Jesus' disciples attempt to shoo away the children? You know, he's, he's a busy man. He's an important man. Jesus rebukes them. Let the little children come to me and not, not hinder them. And then he cancels his afternoon's plans, stoops down, scoops each child up in his arms, treating them as the most important person in the world. I mean, Jesus had a way of hitting the golden buzzer on people that, every, that nobody saw. Not because of their achievement, but just because he saw a value in them that others missed. And it's not that he missed the privileged people. I mean, there's Mark chapter 10, verse 20. A rich young ruler who's got power and wealth going for him. And it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. I mean, what we notice, however, is that those who hoped hope that Jesus would see them, gaze upon them, value them. He did precisely that, shining the light of his eyes upon them until they felt seen. <laughs> and my prayer for you is you would know the warm eyes of God upon your life. That's my first point. Now to Ephesians. Ephesians. These are the two verses we're looking at. Ephesians 4, 1 verses 14 to 15. The Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, and I'll stop there. He says, I, I'm praying for you. But notice two lines there, God's possession and God's possession and God's people. Those are my two more points. So 
God's possession means I'm God's, and God's people means I'm yours. So I'll come back to that. So Paul speaks of the redemption of those who are God's possession. So if you want to know who you are in Christ, or maybe you've sort of come to signal, signal and you weren't so sure about Jesus, but now you're sure about Jesus. You placed your life in him. You've trusted in him. Okay, you are God's possession. You belong to God. And um, this is quite a theme that runs through the scripture. I mean, my favorite one is in Exodus 19 in the Old Testament, where God says to them, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you out on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole world is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Exodus chapter 19. Love those lines. You will be my treasured uh, possession. We're speaking to a nation that is, is brought out of slavery. They were slaves. They were Pharaoh's possessions. No, no, no. They're God's possession now. The apostle Peter in the New Testament says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Um. There's a verse that says, the whole world is mine. Everything belongs to God. The galaxies, the mountains, the Atlantic, Hawaii. It's all his. If you've got everything, uh, you know, well, apparently, he feels there are some things that are so precious to him that even God who owns everything feels wealthy. I've got five children. One of them has got this interesting ability to find an object that he deems to be rare. And to treasure this possession. And he's got little stones, little marbles. He's found them in the garden and they are his possession. He feels like he owns a Rolls Royce. I mean, he is a wealthy man. And, um, but his, his most treasured possession, no doubt, is his Pokemon folder. A few years now of just collecting. You know, he points to the card. He says, this card's worth 4,500 Rand, Dad. I was like, sell it. <laughs> Show me the money. Um, and this week, he takes it to school. He doesn't come back with it. Next day, we go. It seems someone may have stolen it. The guy is bleak. Bleak. And, um, but but this, God knows what it's like to treasure, that God can feel wealthy. Just interesting story about Charlie. I think we mentioned to someone in this church that Charlie lost his Pokemon cards. And Charlie didn't make it to church today because of um, New Year's Eve party last night. That's what it felt like. (laughs) But I get here. Signal kids are dropping off their favorite Pokemon cards, taking from their samples. Some kid, I think Teddy, 70 Pokemon cards. And there's these lovely little notes. Charlie, these of Pokemon cards for you with a picture. Love from Celia and me. Beautiful, hey? <laughs> it's such a boy motion. How much emotion? <laughs> you. Beautiful, hey? <laughs> what does Christian community look like for a child? <laughs> I think that's what it looks like, eh? Um. My favorite passage in the Bible that speaks about how God um, treasures us, how he prizes us, is Isaiah 49, where it says, Zion said, 
The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget his baby at her breast? And have, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Your children hasten back and those who laid you waste depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All your children gather and come to you. You will wear them all as ornaments. You will put them on like a bride. It's this kind of kaleidoscope of different images that show God's love and his tireless commitment for us. So, so Isaiah 49, if I can just make three points. Number one, you are on God's hands. Now, we know the Bible says that we are in God's hands. Isaiah 41 verse 10, I will take hold of you with my righteous right hand. But I love this picture of him engraving into his hands our names. And um, two weeks ago, I spoke about how you received the tattoo of the Holy Spirit if you're a believer. But here's her verse telling us that God also has got a tattoo. And on his tattoo is your name. And interestingly, in the ancient world, uh, devotees to their gods would get tattoos to show their devotion to their gods. So uh, Ptolemy the fourth, he had a, a, a tattoo of um, ivy leaves to show his devotion to the god Dionysus, the god of wine. Well, how's this? God is the one who's running around putting his palms under the needles to show his devotion to you, turns things around. Um, the Bible says that there are some wounds in heaven, Jesus' hands, the nail marks. I sometimes think about those nails as the, the, the tattoo pens that he scribes his name into his hands. So you are on God's hands. Number two, you are on God's mind. Can a mother forget a child? The answer is no. And the answer is, well, actually it can happen. But not with God. And then, and then that little line, my, your walls are ever before me. The metaphor suddenly changes. God is a mother to God is an architect. God is an architect. Is there anyone who's an architect here? Okay, of course, there we go. <laughs> your walls are ever on my mind. God is lies awake thinking about the, the lines and the patterns of your life. You're on his mind. And, and then thirdly, you're on his heart. So it's about an ornament that's on a, on a, a chest. Uh, and um, in the ancient world and today, people would get like a, someone's picture and hang it close to their heart. And, and God is like a bride with an ornament with your face on his heart. You are um, on God's hands, you're on his mind, you're on his heart, you're his treasured possession. You make God feel wealthy. <laughs> so, so what have I said so far? I'm seen, I am God's. And then, and then my third point is, I, I am yours. I am yours. And um, it carries on, Ephesians 1. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 
So Ephesians 1, we've already been preaching through it. It speaks about how God is our Father, verse 2. We're adopted as God's child, verse 5. And um, if God is our Father and we both we all trust in the blood of Christ, um, then that makes us brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. And if you study the New Testament, those 27 documents that make up the New Testament, and you ask, what did the early Christians call each other? They had a favorite name. Adelphoi is the Greek word, brother, sister. And uh, the, the good English translations have brother and sister. The, the word Adelphoi means, you know, literally is brothers, but in the ancient world, if a person in the first century read that and, and you were called Adelphoi, it, it meant siblings, meant brothers and sisters. I do have a bit of a gripe with modern translations that stick with just brothers. Because in a hundred places in the book of Acts and in Paul's letters, the churches are addressed as brothers. You just try to read that to a bunch of boys and girls in the 21st century. Ivy goes, what about me? So I think the dynamic equivalent is quite right to translate it brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. And... Um, Interestingly, historians know of no other ancient faith community where they called each other brothers and sisters. The Epicureans and the Cynics, they called each other friends. But brothers and sisters was a name that appeared in the Jewish communities and especially in the Christian communities. They received each other as family. One day, as Jesus was teaching, he got a message that his mother and his brothers were outside and wanted to see him. We might expect Jesus to leave at once saying, family first. But he doesn't. Instead, uh, he uses the moment to impress uh, a lesson upon his disciples' minds. He answers in a way that cuts against the grain of so much Christian culture, even in the modern West. He says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So we might think, oh, that's Jesus' you know, family of religion, your parents. But had Jesus been married and had kids, he would never have answered like that. But actually in the ancient world, your family of origin, origin was like your, your primary family. And uh, in Middle Eastern culture, um, your loyalty lay with them. So Jesus' teaching here is radical. So to be clear, he isn't undervaluing family. He's redefining it. And as his followers today, we need to redefine it too. When we come to church on a Sunday, we come primarily not with our family, or maybe you come on your own without your family. You don't come with your family without your family. You come to your family, to your family. If we're to welcome each other as Christ welcomes us, we must be ready to act like we believe that those we meet with week and week, week on week, are truly our family. Hebrews 13 verse one, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. So um, if, if you come to our welcome evening where you find out, you know, more about signal and you say, you know what, come in. <laughs> um, we go through our six values. And, and I just want to mention two of them. Value number two is we, we value authentic community. We value authentic community. And we always quote John 13. So now I'm giving you a new commandment, says Jesus. Love each other just as I've loved you. You should love each other. 
for you, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Gestures are signs to the world that we just, Jesus' disciples. His disciples. And then our sixth value is um, welcoming and generous. And as Christ welcomes us, so we welcome each other. The Hebrews author details three ways, the author of the book of Hebrews details three ways we may love one another as siblings. He says this in Hebrews 10, or it could be her, this could have been written by Priscilla, some scholars think, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So I just want to give you three ideas about how to love one another as, as a community. The first one is to get to know one another, to get to know one another. Hebrews 10 says, let us consider one another to see how we may spur one another on. That's the literal wording. And that word, let us consider one another, is the word kataneo, and means to pay attention to and to look closely at. So that's how you love a person. You pay attention to and you look closely at. In Genesis chapter 4, God asks Cain if he knows where Abel is. And of course he does. He's lying in the ground. Cain killed him. But Cain answers, am I my brother's keeper? God doesn't answer, but the answer obviously is yes. Are you your sister's keeper? Are you your brother's keeper? The answer is yes. Pay attention, consider one another. My favorite picture of someone considering another is Sam to Frodo in the Lord of the Rings. You've got Frodo, he's a good guy, but he's easily discouraged and he's getting pulled towards compromise. Sam can see it all. Sam is paying attention. The worst thing that Frodo could do is not have Sam in his life. And he makes his worst decisions when that happens. All of us have got particular weaknesses and struggles that are unique to us where we get discouraged or we go towards compromise. And uh, we desperately need people in our lives who are paying attention and love us enough to say, hey. And uh, of course, we've got to put ourselves in these kind of relationships and, and we've got to be real. In single, we often speak about take off the polish, take off the mask, take off the armor. Be real with each other. That's how real relationships are, are, are formed. You, you can have the superficial conversations, which are lacquer. Let's talk all about your view on what happened last night in that game. I love these chats. I have about 40 fat chats a week. Five minutes bumping into someone at a school or a beachfront or a coffee shop. Fat chats. Um, those are awesome. But I'm talking about real chats. How are you doing? Really. And um, we need those kind of relationships in our lives. It, it does seem that society is struggling on those fronts. I've read some sociological studies that maybe 20 years ago in the West, the average person had your close, close family. Then you had your lots of fat chat people, you know. And then you had a band of, of, of friends who knew you really well. Still today, people have got their closest family. They've still got the fat chat people. But, but a lot of people are running thin on these more intimate friendships, people that are, that are with us. 
Some of the biggest joys in my life are these relationships, and the biggest agonies in my life have been the, the loss or the fading away of some of these friendships. And I just want to encourage you to seek out that middle band of friendship. And if you're a Christian, especially to find followers of Jesus in that band. So get to know each other. And, and on a Sunday, Sundays are more built for fat cats afterwards, right? But if you, have you been to a nightclub before? That's our name for small groups. I think we've got eight or nine nightclubs, and we hope to start more next year. And uh, those are great places where you can, okay, yes, some people I'm going to go a bit deeper with. And the easiest way to go deep with people is like, does anyone need prayer for anything? <laughs> you know, well, and it, it just feels like a safe place. My favorite part of being a night, part of a nightclub was when, um, how are you doing? You ask for prayer. And then they pray for you. And then the next week you come, they say, so how did it go? Or you've been getting WhatsApped. You just, that's just the awesome aspect of community. So get to know one another. Secondly, encourage one another. Henry Nowen writes, Christian community is the place where we keep the flame of hope alive among us so that it can grow and become stronger in us. And, the, and then Hebrews 10 says, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The Greek word spur is paroxysmo, and it means outburst. It was used in the ancient world to refer to outbursts, paroxysms of anger or even high fever. But here it's used positively. We're to bring each other to a paroxysm of love, outbursts of demonstrated love. And it's saying the only way you can reach this high fevered level of love and and, and, and good deeds is if you're in a very encouraging community where you're being spurred on, isolated, we so easily go cold. Hebrews 3 verse 13, we are hardened by sin's deceitfulness if we're not encouraging and being encouraged. But in community, a community of people that are real with each other and you pledge to Boost each other in prayer and prophecy and encouragement and cheering on. What happens then is that your God-given strength becomes my God-given strength. And my God-given joy becomes your God-given joy. And then my third point from Hebrews 10, how to love each other is to commit together. To commit together. Do not stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but get together all the more to encourage each other. Many of the readers of Hebrews, interestingly, were so discouraged that it led them to avoid the thing they needed most, gathering with faithful brothers and sisters. The next time you're in a discouraged place, compromised place, and you go, oh, I feel terrible, I'm gonna miss church. Can you see that the thing you need most is church? So why don't you make a decision right now in your head, next time you're in that space. Decide now what you're going to do then. Because if you feel your way then, you're going to make the wrong decision. Um, you know, it's not a sin to miss church, but the Bible says it's a really bad habit. <laughs> it's a bad habit. I'm speaking to the choir. It's the people, it's the open chairs. Hey, those of you in the open chairs, can you hear me? I'm actually surprised how many people came to church today, to be honest. I'm pleasantly surprised after last night. But um, make a commitment to come, to come, to be encouraged, to encourage. Okay. I am seen, I am God's, and I am yours. That's who we are.
in Christ. And um, can I ask you to stand up? There's a story of a, a little boy who um, is good with his hands and he builds himself a little boat, a little boat. And he, and, he, and, he, and he paints it and he gives it a name and he sails it on the little stream running through, through the park near where he lives. But one day there's rain that's come down and he puts it on the stream and it gets shot down the stream under the bridge. He loses it. He can't find it. The guy is as bleak as Charlie was this last week after losing his Pokemon cards. Anyway, a few months later, he's in a secondhand store in the town. He sees his boat! <laughs> he's so overjoyed. And he tries to take it out the shop, but the shop owner says, no, that's mine. So he goes, no, it's mine. He goes, no, so I bought it from another, another kid. So this little guy forks out all of his pocket money from the last six months to take out this boat. Anyway, he walks outside, he holds it to the sun. He says, you are twice mine. I made you and I bought you. And I don't know if you can get more to the heart of your identity in Christ than to know that God speaks those words over you. You are twice mine. I made you and I bought you.